Hey, bowlers, you're listening to Bowl After Bowl, episode 20, on Thursday, January 8th, 2015. I'm smoking bowl after bowl. And I smoke. Bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl after bowl. And I smoke. Hey, bowlers. Hey, everyone. We are freezing our butts off in Kansas City, Missouri it today. Is the coldest I've ever remembered since last year it being it's bad yeah well here with your weekly propaganda deconstruction podcast this is laurian rose and spencer pearson thanks for uh, joining us today yeah we've got a lot to catch up on (laughs) yeah it's been a little bit you know i think our last podcast was right before christmas right uh yeah i think so so a lot has happened since then you know uh one thing that is true is uh we're read of uh Jenny Chadwick. There's no Jenny Chadwick on council anymore. That's right. So, uh... Jenny Chadwick resigned, actually. Right. Um, <laughs> but I still applaud the efforts of the Recall Chadwick uh, petition. Absolutely. And you guys succeeded. Well, yeah. I mean, clearly she knew that she couldn't face a recall election. I mean, or clearly she thought she would be recalled, you know. Um... There's a few things that are probably pretty politically savvy about resigning before you actually get recalled, you know, to try and dodge that uh, recall. And uh, really, when you look at it, um, what she explained was that uh, if there had been a recall, then the next time that the seat could have been filled would have been August. So there would have been no first ward council person between uh, between April and August if, if the recall had actually happened. Um so, uh, for people that are maybe tuning into this episode as their first episode, can we just take this back all the way to the beginning of how the, you know, how the recall for Jenny Chadwick started? Sure. Um, I, if I recall, yeah. <laughs> it was a city council meeting where there's an ordinance up for the decriminalization of up to six marijuana plants within city limits. Right, the cultivation, basically. Right. Dan Veets proposed this ordinance with Councilwoman Barbara Hoppy, and it was a means to uh, expand the rights of medical patients living within the city, you know, and protect them, offer more protections to them. Right. Um, but it seemed all good. It seemed like we had uh, four out of seven votes. Mm-hmm. Um, Councilwoman Ginny Chadwick had promised to back marijuana... Uh, legalization in her campaign. Right. Well, she promised to back this specific uh, ordinance. She promised to back because Dan asked her the question, you know, would you support Barbara Harpy's ordinance? You know, and she said, absolutely. You know, she gave a pretty impassioned defense of it and uh, support of it, you know, at the time. I mean, that's why that's why I voted for her was I she told me she would support this issue, you know, and I needed this vote. So, um, you know, you would you would expect on the campaign trail for the constituents who specifically sought you out, who are clearly involved and active in the community, paying attention to local issues, and those are the people who asked you how you would vote on a thing. If you, you know, if you wind up lying to them, this is what happens. You can't keep your job, and you uh, you shouldn't be able to do that. You know. Now, there's a argument to be made for politicians to be allowed or able to change their minds, and I totally respect that. You know, I totally respect if you genuinely learn something you know and have a you know you have a defense of it you know you have a a well thought out defense but you know just to say that you weren't aware of the state law conflict 
And then, you know, to go further and pass this Tobacco 21 thing, which has a state law conflict, just the the hypocrisy and the deceit and the outright lying that's going on here. Like, there's a difference between that and becoming educated, becoming informed, and being like, oh, uh, I actually was informed on the issue now, and uh, I wasn't before. This is just, like, the total opposite of that, you know? This is pretending that you are informed on the issue, and then, uh, you know, skirting, skirting the public backlash when... You know, you sell your uh, constituents down the road. Right. Yeah, it was really messed up. Um, So anyway, so we're at the city council meeting. Um, I had been covering the ordinance for the Columbia, Missouri, and so I was really excited to finally see it pass. Right. uh, Dan Beats got up to talk for the public comment part, and he was like, how many people are here for the ordinance? Please stand up if you're able. And it was pretty much everyone. The room was packed. Right. And, uh... You know, they go up to vote, and all of a sudden, Ginny says, well, I have an amendment to make to this ordinance. I would like to redefine adult, instead of being anyone over the age of 18, as being anyone over the age of 21. And immediately, I knew, because I had been following, you know, the council issues for the Columbia, Missouri, I knew that she had proposed this and been talking about this Tobacco 21 thing. Right. So I was like, oh, this is to help out her, you know, campaign that she's you know, launched for the city. Right. Um, it's in and, keeping with her own uh, agenda there. Yeah. That's a, to redefine an adult as a 21 year old, basically. Right. And not wanting to lose her vote. A lot of the other council members voted yes on this amendment because ultimately we wanted to see the ordinance pass, you know? And so this, this amendment goes through, uh, the ordinance has changed from, you have to be, you know, over the age of 21 to, Grow, cultivate six up to six marijuana plants. Well, just for those lesser penalties, even to apply to you, you know, nothing about the ordinance would have legalized cultivation. Nothing about the ordinance would have allowed cultivation. Simply would have reduced the penalty for doing so. So it uh, it basically added it to the decrim ordinance we have now, where you know it's not legal to have less than thirty five grams of marijuana on you in the city of Columbia. However, the punishment is not as severe as other places in the state for, you know, when you go to municipal court. So this means that anyone between the age of 18 and 21, if they got caught cultivating marijuana, they would have a felony? They'd be felons, They would yes. face uh, the state? Because they wouldn't be yeah, considered... Yeah, they would have to go to state court, yes. And, I mean... So, all right. I mean, a lot of people have heard Ginny Chadwick say in defense of the children and, you know, other people saying stuff like that. She's right. actually putting them at more risk in that case. Then. Right. She wants to make, yeah. Well, anyways. Felons out of more kids, basically. Getting back to the city council night. So it comes to the vote <laughs> after the amendment passes. And uh, Barbara Hoppy votes yes. Um, Trap votes yes. Michael Trap, yeah. And Ian Thomas. And Ian Thomas votes yes. We only need one more vote. And uh, Lauren Hauser, kind of letting the libertarians down a little bit, I would say. Yeah. She votes no. So, ouch. Um, Scala votes no. Of course, um, you know, his wife is a public health official, so right. he's very much on that their side of the arguments here. Um, and then Ginny Chadwick... Oh, McDavid votes no. Yeah. Of course. Uh, (laughs) Ginny Chadwick votes no. And I I mean, I just look to my left 
all the all the cannabis activists are sitting within the front row, um, and they just you know they're up in arms. Everyone's leaving the room, you know, and immediately after it was just recall talk. Yeah, yeah. Aaron, Epen, all of us sitting there just saying, yeah, we're gonna recall Jenny Chadwick. Like we're gonna do it, and we did it. You know, we did it. Here, here we are. She's the first, as far as I know, of politician in Missouri who's had to face a recall vote over you know selling the cannabis activists down the river over making them a promise that she just turned around and broke right into office. And that sends out a strong message, not only to other politicians in the city and in the state, but just around the country, that you cannot lie to the cannabis activist crowd and survive politically. That's not politically viable any longer. We will hold you accountable if you try to do that. And, you know, we, we just had a great success at doing that. And it was awesome because, uh, you know, there was such a diverse community involved with her recall, too. Because after uh, the marijuana activists started raising a fuss about her recall, people uh, against Opus joined in. Right. And, you know, uh, there is also the – she wanted to ban alcohol in Douglas Park. So mm-hmm. that got a lot of first word constituents up in arms, you know, yeah, in, there's just involved a lot, with the recall. There was a lot of, uh, you know, momentum building toward a recall anyway. Um, which really, you know, boosted it. And just the, the decisions that Chadwick made while in office, uh, they were based upon advice that she got from people who were not first ward constituents. And uh, the thing about being a city council member, you know, is you can go, you can say, oh, I talked to the police chief. Oh, I talked to uh, the board of health. I talked to the superintendent of schools. I talked to all these people to get their opinions. However, the people who elected me and the people who I represent and the people who I am voting on behalf of on all of these laws are the constituents, okay? So you as a city council member should be meeting with all of these boards and all of these people, and you should be bringing those boards' concerns to your constituents. But the ultimate vote and the ultimate opinion and, you know, the true – who holds the vote strings are the voters, you know, and they are your constituents – if you do not listen to them, they'll, they'll kick you out and vote for someone else. You know, that, that is the whole, that's how the whole process is set up to work right. You know, it's the, it's democracy in action right here. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm so glad this was a su- success. Uh, who actually wrote the petition? Um, you know, I don't exactly know, but I know that Como Council Watch was the group responsible for getting it written and getting it, uh, passed out and distributed, um, and, you know, you know, Keep Columbia Free was in there giving a lot of support, uh, giving a lot of attention uh, to the issue. And, uh, you know, people just ran with it. Yeah. Oh, I also think it's worth noting that Jenny Chadwick once made a Facebook comment where she said she didn't have the time to answer to angry constituents. Right. And, you know, as Spencer just said, it's like, well, the constituents are who got you where you're at. Yeah. And I mean, anyone can talk about, you know, she herself in her resignation speech, which we'll play later for you, at least, uh, uh, you know, bits We're of it. There. Um, she says... You know, she says how many people told her that this was ridiculous, the recall, and how many, like, uh, real leaders of Columbia, is what it was her words, how many real leaders had come up to her and told her the recall was ridiculous. Well, you know, the recall is your constituents. None of these people are affecting, like, what you're supposed to do. What you're supposed to do is answer to your constituents' concerns. 
And so just up to the very end, just such a disregard for her constituency and like just kind of pooing on them. And Hank Waters is the same thing, pooing on him in the Tribune, just saying, like, these people are ridiculous, they're out of control, they don't... It's like, these are the only people paying attention in town and, like, finding out who these candidates are, finding out who these city council members are. You know, the city council would very much want no one to know what's going on, no one to be showing up to the meetings, no one to be paying attention to any of the shit that they're doing, no one to provide any civilian oversight on any of this. They just want us to line up raise our taxes, pay for more cops, pay for bigger schools, pay for bigger Mizzou stadiums, pay for all of these different things, you know? And, you know, pay for sidewalks being fixed in front of banks downtown while sidewalks in front of local businesses have been cracked and rotten for decades, you know? Yeah, and this is why we're working so hard to start enforcing accountability on our government with, you know, this political action, uh, you know, recalls, passing around petitions, trying to repeal bad law and fix politics, <laughs> at least on a local level. Um, so anyway, so we found out Monday that Ginny had announced her resignation. Right. Uh, that's when she officially said it uh, Monday night. And it would have been effective. Well, it was effective the next, the following Tuesday. So um, here's the, what kind of happened at Monday night at the city council meeting. Um, and she gave her a little speech, uh, and then they basically set up a, a replacement election for the first ward on April's ballot. You know, many real leaders in Columbia have reached out to me to tell me how ridiculous the recall is and offered support and asked me how I'm doing. So I'm very grateful to that. But I campaigned through one semester of grad school. I have no intention of campaigning through a second. As a leader, it's important to know when it's time to step down. And as a, the representative of the most important board and one of the most influential votes on council, it was not a decision that I took into light consideration. The city doesn't go in a direction unless a majority of council supports it. No single decision that I made on council was the sole reason that we chose the path that we did. But as a council representative, I stand firmly behind every decision that we made as a majority and feel that I was a part of great leaders moving our city forward. My resignation, effective noon tomorrow, will allow council to take action today to put the first ward on special election for a candidate for the April election. Should the recall have been successful, the ward would have gone unrepresented from April to August. And this will allow for a shorter time without representation. To those who feel I'm giving up or quitting, I don't just quit anything that really matters to me. And while council is an honor and important for our community, my family and my personal career are far more important to focus on. It was not a job, so I need not find another. This was a volunteer position for the community that, with a $6,000 a year stipend that takes far more time than financially compensated. But it's a position that comes with power, and I use that power to uphold the laws that we have in place and to not put laws in place that we couldn't uphold, despite the group of citizens angered by our actions. I'm ready to go back into the community as one of the 90 percent and that's happy with our great city but ignorant of the day-to-day -day dealings thank you to each of you as hard as this position is you gave me the ability to appreciate the work you do for columbia one of the 90 percent huh that's yeah I don't, i'm not sure what number she's citing there but uh it seemed to imply that maybe uh, ninety percent of Colombians aren't city employees or city workers. I'm not it, sure. It sounded to me like she was saying that ninety percent of uh, Colombia residents are ignorant. It sounded like she was saying that ninety percent of Colombia residents don't pay attention to the politics. They're not involved. 
Um, and I think that's a really powerful and awful statement. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm really not sure what she was getting at, but it just the whole thing reeked of, uh, you know, uh, it's just a, just a total, just a total f you to the voters, you know. And it's 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 just not. It's ugh, and it's, the, there was a point in her speech where she like picked up a hanky and tried to wipe her eyes but i'm not sure she was actually crying she was kind of smiling at that point i don't know, I don't know man it's it there is sort of a part of it that it has to be rough because you know you're going around in these certain circles you feel a sort of power and invincibility and like she said you know the position brings power and this is what i tried to do with the power you know I mean, no one runs for city council because they want to make that six thousand dollars a year you know what i'm saying but uh, it does come with a certain power and a certain prestige, and you know you're invited to certain dinner parties, and you get to hang out with certain uh, mucky mucks in town, you know, and that's the people who don't need to be exclusively controlling the town, you know. The the everyone needs to get up off of their ass, go out into the cold, and get involved with your government instead of bitching about it. You know how broken it is. You know how bad it sucks. Well. There's only one way to fix it, and that's to get in there, get your hands dirty, do some activism, uh, you know, show up to a city council meeting, have your opinion heard, you know, form an opinion, read these news stories, you know, and uh, there's so many things that need to be fixed with our government. The list is so long, and, um, you know, we're often painted as uh, cannabis activists, and, uh, you know, I identify as such, that's where I got my start, that's my main thing, but there's so many more things I care about, you know, there's so many more liberty issues at stake than just this, you know, the Tobacco 21 thing, for instance, a lot of people have come out and been mad at me for supporting uh, the repeal of that Tobacco 21 law, but let me tell you, this affects us, this is a cannabis issue, and if you if you don't think so, you're crazy, uh, go into any of the pipe shops in town, mm-hmm. look around you, all of that, you gotta be 21 now to buy. A water pipe, a glass bowl, uh, a screen. You got to be 21 now. You can't just be 18. Uh, and uh, and you know we're there as 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 normal and as uh, other cannabis activists, as Show Me Cannabis. Uh, those organizations are the few political allies that these shops even have. You know the the the, the few advocates that would advocate on their behalf. They don't really have anybody else. So we have to be there for them on this. You know, we have to be there for them on these issues. Right. Uh, we'll get to Tobacco 21 in just a minute, but can I go back to the recall Chadwick petition? Um, how long did you have to get the petition in, and how many signatures did it require, um, if you remember? You know, I don't have uh, those numbers off the top of my head, and uh, we really should mention that Como Council Watch was the group that definitely carried the ball on uh, – the, the petition side of things on turning it in, on collecting them all, getting them all in one place, you know, getting it in on time, uh, getting the legal language, you know, worked on. And these are the same people who have successfully delivered two opus referendum petitions in the same year. You know, these people are great activists. They know what they're doing. They uh, can gather, clearly gather uh, massive amounts of signatures. <coughs> Excuse me. So, Billy, we're lucky enough to live in a town where that many people are connected and uh, active and paying attention, you know? Yeah. And as grassroots activists, the great thing about that is, you know, there is a certain uh, lack of partisanship when we do big things like this and come together, you know? Um, 
we talk about how we hate uh, politicians who are super partisan and can never reach across the aisle. But how often do we reach across the aisle ourselves, you know? In Colombia, you have to do it all the time, especially if you're not, you know, a super progressive person in your full political spectrum, you know? I don't consider myself an uber-liberal person, you know? But you have to, especially in Colombia, you got to work with everyone, you know? you got to work with everyone. And that's what the grassroots activists are good at, and that's what... Uh, you know, that's why these issues are successful, because it's not just one little tiny crowd of uh, radicals like they're trying to paint it. You know, it's it's just a bunch of activists. And Pam Cooper's done a really good job as spokesperson for um, the Como Council Watch. Um, so what did the city council members have to say about uh, Chadwick's resignation? Well, they opened the floor up for public comment, and uh, I wasn't at the meeting at the time, so I didn't get to hear what this fella said, but he kind of turns around, like, he grandly introduces himself and then turns around to address the, the citizens in the room, and you can't hear anything he says because he says it so far off mic, it doesn't get picked up, and you'll hear McDavid tell him to go talk into the mic. Uh, so if anybody was there, send me an email, spencer at com. I really would love to hear what this dude said to the crowd, but uh, here it is. John DeVaudre, 8708 North Cedar Court. Citizens of Columbia, I address you. Please speak in the microphone so that you can be recorded. Thanks, yeah, thank everyone. You. So, by comment, don't let the door hit you. Thank you. I love it. Don't <laughs> let the door hit you. So, I mean, uh, that was... Beside, I think there was one other public comment, and it was not a comment, it was a question, and there was a guy asking me, hey, is it appropriate for the city to do a resolution to do this? And the city lawyer just said, yeah, that's how we do it, that's how the law tells us to do it. But uh, as far as actual public comment on Chad Chadwick's resignation, it was limited to just that, and you know, <laughs> I guess not maybe what I would have said, you know, I would have said something about, you know, how, you know, everyone should take this as a note that you have to honor your promises you have to be honest with your constituents and you have to be engaged with your constituents the real breakdown why the recall had to go forward wasn't even necessarily that she voted no on any single issue or on a number of issues it was when like you said earlier she said i don't feel like i have to address a group of angry constituents that's when it broke down when she refused to talk to her constituency you know like uh, mm -hmm. When the communication barriers break down between you and your representative, you're not being represented. It's the end of it, you know. So, it, you know, you got to get somebody else in there who will represent you. That's the that's their job. That's why they're there. Right. But the council members, you know, I think there's one clip where, you know, Ian Thomas says something under his breath about the comment being distasteful. But Why? Well, he, yeah, I mean, I think he leaned over to Scholar or something, someone and said that, you know, that wow that was kind of not the comment we want to hear you know but uh it's so weird because immediately thereafter uh every city council member one at a time just kind of got up and kissed her ass and was like you know oh it'll be okay you know you did really good uh mcdavid even said well here let me you know, just play it 
Could I make that comment? I, I really didn't appreciate the gentleman's comment here. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, amidst some of our agreements and disagreements, because we've had both, I, what I wanted to tell you is that I appreciate your grace in, in recognizing uh, and providing an opportunity uh, for someone else to succeed you. I think that was a, a very magnanimous gesture, and I, and I appreciate it very much in terms of how you've conducted yourself with respect to how this strategy will play out. And I just wanted to say thank you for that. So the great status, Carl automatically poo-poos the guy that, you know, made the public comment, which, you know, again, obviously probably in poor taste, uh, probably not like very constructive as a comment, but as far as a barometer of how the general voters are feeling right now, spot on, pretty accurate. (laughs) Yeah. I would say as far as like, you know, the general vibe of how everyone feels out there, you know, like. I would say it represents a majority opinion. Now, how, you know, how we got to this point in our relationship with our government, you know, that's a whole nother story. But in order to get it back to where it needs to be, we need people who will represent us and who will communicate with us. Uh, You know, even Lauren Nauser, who is supposedly, you know, the the libertarian on on the city council, which is atrocious. Libertarians need to get some actual libertarians on the city council. Uh, we'll talk about Laura Nauser's views on Uber here in a minute. But, uh, yeah, here's Laura Nauser's uh, farewell to Jenny Chadwick. I will say, Ms. Chadwick, I, I would, we may not always agree. Um, and, you know, that's certainly been evidenced by, by some of our votes. But I will say that I feel that you have represented your ward. You have been very passionate about the issues that you have brought forward. We cannot please every citizen in this community, and there's always going to be those who dissent with what we decide to vote for. Um, sometimes I always think that it's good if I have both sides angry at me. Hmm. Um, so I want to thank you for your service to the city of Columbia. I think, again, you have represented the first ward, and I wish you very well on your future endeavors. So how tone deaf is this that they're saying, you know, she says, I feel you have represented our ward. Well, the people... <laughs> she's supposed to represent don't feel that way we do not feel represented we do not feel considered our opinions are not even considered you know by the end she was just making quotes to the press about how we sucked you know that was it that was the only interaction that we got with jenny chadwick was how she'd say oh they're mean they're very mean like yeah just she refused to talk ever you know the only time that she really would answer questions in uh, in a reasonable way was at the beginning before she was elected when she was lying to us, you know? So, yeah. you know, the, the, the citizen frustration here cannot be understated. And, uh, you know, if you frustrate the citizens to this level, you can't hold office. It just doesn't work that way, you know? Uh, she's not even in office for a year. Nine months. So, uh, you know, it's just something that politicians... And anyone considering a run for office needs to carefully consider uh, who are you representing and uh, will you let those voices be heard, you know? Uh, the key to the city is the voice of the people or some such uh, slogan was her campaign slogan, you know? And just the falseness of it, the falseness of all of this political, um, you know, at a certain point you have to be held accountable, you have to tell the truth, and you have to... Uh, be honest, you know, we can reach compromise. We don't, we're not like big whiny babies who need everything our way, but you know, we do need to have honest dialogue. Well, strip the politics here for a second. 
you don't lie to people. Right. As a human, you just don't lie to people. It's not right. Absolutely. So don't say things that you don't mean, ever. I don't care if you're running for office. I don't care if you're talking to me on the bus. Just Absolutely. don't say things that you don't mean, ever. Right. Just keep your mouth shut. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. So uh, next we have ha- uh, Barbara Hoppy. And, you know, all of these people, Laura Nowser being the sole no vote on the Tobacco 21 ordinance, still wishes, like, this uh, warm, gooey, cozy goodbye to her. Uh, Barb Hoppy, who had her decrim bill junked, totally junked by Chadwick, same thing. And uh, it's it's mind-boggling. I don't know how in politics you... There's this sort of notion how everyone has to be nicey-nice and, like, uh, you know, everyone should be kind to another. You know, that's that goes without saying. But you can't be dishonest. And a lot right. of this stuff is just plain dishonest. Like, a lot of this stuff is just – it's not genuine. It's dishonest. And, you know, this is the kind of stuff that just needs to change in our political system. Here's a Hoppy saying goodbye. Although we've differed on some crucial issues, I I really appreciate your diligence and the issues that we have worked on uh, together, and especially the leadership you provided on the smoking um, ordinance. You know, I, for one, was, as I expressed earlier, hoped that you would at least serve through April, but uh, we'll try to carry on with six people. Uh, next, uh, Michael Trapp, he kind of had like a quiet, mumbly uh, goodbye there, and uh, his mic kind of cut in and out, so I tried to play with the audio to get it normalized all the way through, but uh, his, his uh, mic was cutting in and out. Trapp, though, uh, kind of talks about how uh, council people are sort of like celebrities. Uh, I would, you know, echo the the comments of uh, my colleagues. Uh, it's tough to serve in the first ward. Um, I haven't been on council that long, coming up on three years. Uh, but Mr. Schmidt, I know it took a large personal toll on on, on him, and and something that I've seen in, in both of you um, is a you know a sincere desire to do right by your ward and your city, and a desire to serve. And uh, it's unfortunate sometimes that the process can be painful and, and um, I would encourage all of us to don't just carry on with a certain amount of decorum that sometimes we as city council members are we treat like I like we all treat the celebrities or, or figures and we talk about them like we know them and we judge them harshly and we say things um, funny at, at their expense um, but we all live in Columbia and we're a pretty small town and and uh, haven't been the recipient of a small portion of, of that, um, that it hurts sometimes. So, I mean, it's kind of ironic now to be on the show and talking about all these people, you know what I mean? But uh, that's that's what a public official is, you know? Uh, it kind of reminds me of the story going around right now. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name, which is a total tragedy, but uh, there's a politician threatening to sue a local paper, uh, who's also, I believe, a city council person, uh, threatening to sue a local paper if they ever uh, use his name again without his permission. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it's just, just oh not, goodness. not how it works, right? These people are totally, completely lost. It's like it's sad to watch almost when, when, when they uh, 
make such tone deaf statements. It's like, no, wait, they really don't understand how this works. They really don't understand how democracy works. Like they really don't even care. They don't care so much that they don't even know how to hide the fact that they don't care. Well, it kind of shows that they went into it for probably all the wrong reasons. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, Mr. Trapp, I'm sorry, but you're not a celebrity. You're a politician. Right. You're a public official. And, you know, we need to watch you, hold you accountable, and, you know, engage with you as the public. That's what we do. We are the public. You are the public official. And that's how it works, you know. And if you're not willing to uh, get a wide variety of opinion, um, and, yeah, you know, people like – Things should be echoed here that are correct. You know, Laura Nauser, you can't please everyone, right? But then to turn around and say, you know, I think it's best when both sides are angry at me. No, no, it's not best when both sides are angry at you. It's best when both sides understand where you're coming from. It's best mm-hmm. when both sides have at least been given an explanation as to where you're coming from that is logical and thought out, you know, instead of just being blown off. Um, and, you know, Michael Trapp. Yeah, we're going to talk about you guys. You know, we're going to inform other citizens because uh, that's what it takes. It takes us all paying attention and giving a different perspective on all these issues to the general public who maybe don't have uh, as much time, energy, or, uh, you know, care to pay attention on this level. Um, it's our responsibility as part of the public and as activists to spread this word and at least get an opinion out there. You may agree or disagree, uh, and you probably don't agree with everything. That any given person says, you know, Lorraine and I don't agree on everything right. politically or any, you know, yeah. Lorraine and I have disagreements. <laughs> have this disagreements. is human. But we have to come together and find compromise and reach a, a majority consensus of how this should go forward, you know. Yeah. And uh, it starts from the grassroots. It starts from the bottom and goes up. It's not a top down uh, thing, democracy. Absolutely. So McDavid uh, was the last guy besides. Ian Thomas, who chimed in at the end and pretty much said goodbye because he felt he had to at that point. Um, McDavid, <laughs> he was a long, chummy goodbye in which, uh, you know, he praises he praises, uh, praises Chadwick for hanging tough there. I had a good relationship with Fred Schmidt, and when Fred told me he was not going to run again, he said that uh, he knew somebody who was going to run. Her name was Jenny Chadwick, and uh, get ready for the fact that she's a lot more liberal than I am. And uh, and so you, you came on, and, and you were very uh, engaged from the word go, and uh, we were on the opposite side of a lot of votes, uh, but we came together on some important votes, uh, votes that uh, in the big picture – uh, started the recall. And so, you know, I admire you. You, you took a position on, on the marijuana ordinance that was the recommendation of the superintendent of schools, the uh, Board of Health, and uh, Substance Advisory Board. You've got kids in school. And uh, that was uh, one of the groups that wanted you recalled. And then it was over Opus, which on my deathbed I will never understand the urge to preserve an asphalt parking lot. But irrespective of that, uh, you know, you, you were highly engaged. You were the swing vote a lot of times. Uh, you did your w- diligence. You were always very thoughtful. You always reasoned things out. Uh, and frankly, uh, Columbia uh, 
is a better place because uh, you served on the uh, city council. So uh, I, I think history will serve you well, and I personally uh, thank you. I hate to see you go. Um, but, you know, if I were in your situation, given what's going on, I would have made exactly the same decision you did. So I wish you the best in your future endeavors. So there's McDavidson. He would have done the same thing. But, like, again, to echo what I've already said, so tone deaf, so completely tone deaf. For him to throw the Opus issue away by saying, I'll never understand why a bunch of people wanted to preserve a cement parking lot, an asphalt parking lot. That is not what the Opus issue was, was to preserve that parking lot. The Opus issue is about not giving developers these backdoor secret deals, uh, trying to hide meetings from the public, trying to call secret special meetings while everyone's at lunch and no one can get there, to deliberately hide things from the public that are required by law to be public, and to rush through like this on an insider deal, to a developer who is not willing to foot the bill and provide uh, adequate sewers and adequate utilities for the for the homes they're building. They're not willing to build student housing complex that uh, that is to code. Now you have a city council who's willing to let these developers skirt the law and then go after Uber for skirting the law and focus all their attention on Uber for skirting the law. You know, it's just, it's completely schizophrenic. And it's really not when you take a look at it because what's the difference between all of these developers and Uber? Well, all of these developers are rich fat cats who have, you know, a ton of money to butter people. Uber, not so much. It's a startup tech company, you know, that's an app. Uber drivers are just regular-ass Joes like you or I could sign up and be an Uber driver, you know. It's regular people just trying to make some money in this crap economy. So, like, what are we to do? The government tells us, you know, we're going to try and make jobs for you. And then when we make jobs for ourselves, they get stamped out, like this Uber thing. It's, it's so ridiculous. And, uh, you know, citizens need to really be on the ball and paying attention, and I'm glad we're seeing a lot of that in Colombia, but it just needs to pick up, man. Like, we need to hold these people accountable and, you know, basically take our lives back, take our government back, take the control of, uh, you know, take control of our very fate back because it's ours, you know? Yeah. Well, now, I heard that uh, <laughs> Uber blocked the city credit card so that uh, city officials um, oh, yeah. can't see any of the drivers now. I got some good clips from uh, the same city council meeting, actually, last Monday. Uh, so I'll play first the Uber discussion generally, but, uh, you know, champion libertarian Laura Nauser comes out and is the first to be adamant that she wants to take court action against Uber because they're, uh, you know, because of the because they're still operating. Um, so here's that. So I had a real quick question because I, I had received an um, email from someone stating that Uber was still operating. Are they still out there operating illegally? I received several complaints and yeah. had a long conversation with um, somebody from the Columbia Police Department the other day about them still operating. Because here's – I don't even know if this is appropriate to say, but if I hear one more complaint that they're out there operating illegally, I will guarantee a no vote coming up next for the TNC. I will not tolerate people coming into our community with blatant disregard for not following our rules and processes. And if they would like cooperation from me as a council member to help accommodate them, I expect the same in return from, from Uber and anyone else 
who might be engaged in that same type of service. So I'm just going to put that out there as a warning. And I think that if personally, if we hear of another complaint and find another person out there who is operating as an Uber driver illegally, then we need to take formal court action through whether it be a cease and desist order or, or some other mechanism to say they are not to be operating in our community, period. Well, let me say this on the Uber app. You can be picked up in front of City Hall in two minutes. Well, then, right now. I think we need to take formal court action, and that's my suggestion for this evening. And, you know, McDavid is absolutely right. You can be picked up uh, in two minutes in front of City Hall by Uber. Um, you can probably get picked up by a taxi in two minutes uh, as well. And there's no reason that shouldn't be true. There's no reason that, uh, you know, uh, Uber should stop operating because the government hasn't had time to catch up and allow them to operate, you know. Uh, if you want to really, really regulate Uber, figure out some regulations and, like, you know, submit them to us, the citizens, and let's pass the regulations. But to just kill their business, to just say, no, you can't have a job, you can't have your job, you can't have your business, your dream that you've created, you know. You can't uh, engage other people in in transactions, mutually agreed transactions. And, you know, the Uber system is far more sufficient than any government check. The Uber system has a driver rating system and a passenger rating system. So every Uber driver, when you look up on the app, you can see reviews from other riders. Uh, you can hear about them. They have a rating. And the same for uh, riders with drivers like this person uh, likes to hang out the window and yell obscenities on the sidewalk. Maybe you wouldn't want to really pick them up, you know. Right. Uh, that system is way more efficient and way safer, in my opinion, as a, for a consumer, uh, a consumer report, you know. That self-regulation that Uber has is, you know, way more efficient. And these are things that you can accomplish with technology and with uh, Internet apps. And um, the, the speed that our businesses are on is far surpassed the speed that the government is on. Mm -hmm. uh, and to expect Uber to wait for the city council to catch up, they don't have the time or the money to do that. You know, we don't have the resources to uh, wait for six months. You know who does have the resources to wait and hang on while we figure something out is these developers who just get the fast lane right in to, you know, illegal alley to do whatever the hell they want. Uh, it's, it's just incredible to me how uh, there is a certain group that is allowed to skirt the law and then there's a certain group that is uh, publicly chastised for doing the same, you know, tr attempting to do the same thing. Um. <clears throat> So here's Mathis, and he, he actually l reveals that uh, the city is having a tough time enforcing uh, the Uber driving. So uh, a, a few weeks back, the cops were looking actively for Uber drivers, and so they'd pull up the Uber app. And I guess you can see where drivers are on the Uber. I've, I've never personally used Uber yet, um, but, you know, this is how I understand it works is you pull it up. Uh, you can you visibly see the location of drivers and uh, get a ride. And so the city was attempting to uh, – well, the cops were attempting to uh, solicit rides, and then they'd give out tickets to the drivers when they'd you know, show up to pick them up. So Uber gets wise you know, and is much more technologically savvy than the city and sees the city credit card is being used to purchase all of these rides – uh, so, <laughs> wink, wink, taxpayers, uh, blocks their credit card so that they can no longer see the drivers. You know, brilliant move. That's a 
that's a you know that's a person who's trying to destroy your business, undermine your business. Uh, so you block their credit card. Perfect. And so here's the you know Mathis. I, I had no idea, but this is just a brilliant move by Uber. I think. Uh, so I have to share with you. Um, you know they have control of the app. Uh, so we did use our police officers and our uh, city credit card to um, hand out tickets before. Mm-hmm. They simply blocked that credit card. So now our staff can't see the cars, right? Uh, so uh, they are operating in, uh, they know they're violating our laws. Um, and I think at the point, if, uh, if you would like us to take further steps to uh, enforce the ordinance, the only option I know of left is the court. And I uh, say go for the court. Go for the court, yes. Uh, so, you know. That's our most libertarian member on the council, and she's the most vocally outspoken right now as of the last meeting uh, against Uber and against their operations. And so, you know, there's a lot of issues with Uber, and, you know, we could talk to death about them, but uh, um, basically what it boils down to is get the government out of it. You know, let let Uber do what Uber is good at, which is giving people rides and rating the riders and drivers and, you know, ensuring uh, that – you know, records are kept and, you know, everyone's paying taxes, you know, like everything is be- being done really to the law in Uber. Uh, the people that are mad are the taxi drivers uh, who have to follow these regulations, which, you know, I would – I understand their concerns as well. And the taxi the taxi industry is way overregulated. It's way too regulated, you know, and uh, it just it just doesn't uh, do well for entrepreneurs, doesn't do well for business to be that – uh, dripping in regulations where the state has to allow you to operate, uh, you know, the, the, the users of your service should allow you to operate. And if the users of your service feel like, you know, you're violating, uh, their safety, which is what everyone keeps talking about, everyone's safety, oh, safety, 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 you know, people who feel their safety have been harmed have already got legal avenues to, to address that. You know, if an Uber driver is a scary guy who takes you to somewhere else than your ride, you know, uh, which by the way, where's that news story never happened, you know? <laughs> right. Uh, and who's to say a taxi driver couldn't do the same thing. No one is to say that. Um, it's just ridiculous. It's absurd. And people who, uh, you know, if you if you commit a crime, you're liable for that crime. But the the licensing, the licensing is just an extra hurdle to jump through, an extra little uh, fee that you have to pay, and uh, it cuts people out of the circle. It disallows people. You know, you you financially prohibit them from entering the market. You know, there's there's, there's these barriers of entry, and it stifles competition. It stifles new startups. It's really bad for the economy, especially now in this ever changing. Uh, landscape where we're seeing new technologies. What did our friend Scala, Scala have to <laughs> say about this? Now here's uh, Scala's uh, predictably paternalistic response to the Uber thing, and uh, it almost seems that he's been, you know, burned that Nowser jumped the gun before him because he's just so, also so against Uber. Doggone it. 
I would like to see a successful rideshare company, whether it's Uber or anybody else. But I'll dog on it. I mean, if you, you've got to pay some attention to to the rules. I mean, whatever rules there. And we didn't. This was these were not punitive rules. We were just taking a break to get some information so that we could try and level the playing field. Now you can argue until the cows come home about whether the playing field is level one in one direction, tilting in one direction or the other direction with the uh, with the, the regular cab companies or, or with with Uber. But you you simply don't do that in a, in a, in a civilized city to just to operate with impunity and, and say, well, just, you know, ticket me. And then and on top of it, try and evade it by controlling uh, the, the circumstances under which you're about to try and enforce legal jurisdiction. That's outrageous. And I, I echo the comments of, uh, of Ms. Ms. Nauser uh, when she suggests that, uh, you know, if, if, if they're going to play this way, uh, well, so are we. Game time, game on. Carl throws the gauntlet down. You got to love it. If they're going to play this way, so are we. He's ready. He's yeah. ready. He's facing off. Well, everyone needs to be paying attention to this because I say this affects all of us. This is a freedom issue. Absolutely, know? it's a freedom issue. You should be able to. It, I have the right to make a decision to get into a car with someone who has a you know three-star rating on an app or whatever, you know? Yep. I make the decision to pay that person and, you know, use that service. Absolutely. Just don't tell us what we can and can't do. Don't. You know, stop businesses from being created. Everyone's struggling right now. Right. This is winter. It's, you know, economic hardships, as always. That's just... So, I mean, the government does have a responsibility to make sure people play the game fairly, all right? And I will not deny that at all. Um, but this preemptive shit, that is what uh, harms business. To say preemptively that you have to pay this fee, that you have to hop through these hoops... You have to do these things. Now, the industry knows what it needs to do. The ta- a taxi service knows what it needs to provide. Uh, it knows, you know, um, it knows it needs to, you know, have a car that works, have a car that's safe, have a car that is insured. Yes, insurance. Um, you know, it has to provide for all these things. If it's not, it won't stay in business. It won't be a good taxi service. People are going to say, don't ride. Greg's shit taxi service or whatever taxi service because uh, that taxi service is bad. And Greg's a random name. If there's a taxi guy named Greg, you know, I don't know you. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> uh, you know, this kind of thing, uh, the preemptive thing, if if a taxi service or any business does something illegal or is breaking the law or is lying to people, uh, you know, then the government has a right to step in and, and correct those issues and you say, yeah, you're breaking the law. But the 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 licensing requirements and the and the pre checks that's where it gets kind of ridiculous. That's where it's like you know who are you helping? Uh, you don't even know what you're doing. You know the government doesn't know as much as Uber knows about giving people rides. You know, and uh, it's just it's just sad. It's just the 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 overreach of government that we're seeing on this. It's it's an important issue to pay attention to. Right. Well, and you know, I don't even view Uber as like a taxi service. It's more like a carpooling service because anyone and everyone can work for them. And you set your own hours. You say, hey, I'm going to drive from here to here. I'll pick people up on the way. You log into the app and you show that you're there and you're ready. You know, this is a great opportunity for a lot of people who are struggling to make some money. Right. And they're just trying to squash it. And Um, it's, you know, it's it's a lot friendlier in a lot of ways than 
the taxi services because you do have just these regular people who got the app and you know signed up and the turnover is great and like you said the the flexibility of their scheduling makes it to where you're not getting in a car in a car with a cabbie who's been sitting there all day you know getting in there with someone who has another job but you know does ride share on the side and gives people rides and who have a conversation with you and you know i'm not trying to dog on taxi drivers in the least bit you know i'm just saying that there there's an evolution happening Mm -hmm. right now in how people get a ride from place to place and uh you know the taxi companies can drag their feet about it and the government can drag their feet about it but it's not going to matter in the end uh the people will vote with their dollar the people will buy the best product and the people not the government will decide where the taxis uh uh the whole industry goes, you know. It's all the laws of economics. You can make these laws and hold people accountable, but the laws of economics are the ones that will be followed no matter what. It's just like the laws of physics or anything else. It's just how money is transferred between people. It's just going to work that way. Uh, and it'll take longer to climb over the government barriers, but it will get across those barriers where it will break them down over time, you know. The, the money flow really ultimately will dictate this. Absolutely. And the money flow should coming from the citizens. And like we said before, and like we've been saying this whole time, the bottom up thing, you know, the money flow does dictate things top down, but that's where you have problems. And the preemptive le- uh, legislation, that's where you have problems. So a lot of people have been asking about Tobacco 21 um, because, you know, you've been working on this for a while now. Yeah. Um, Tobacco 21 raised it did three things. Right. It, it raised the aid the purchase age for all tobacco products from 18 to 21. It um added e-cigs to the Clean Air Act which you know bans you from being able to vape indoors. Um and it raises the purchase age for e-cigs and vaporizers from 18 to 21. So a lot of people were eager to sign this petition. Um, well, actually, okay, let's jump back now. Okay. You wrote the petition for Tobacco 21. Well, there's, yeah, three repe- uh, three referendum petitions uh, that we put together, and I submitted to the clerk's office, and we only had 20 days to circulate those. So, uh, you know, we took a, we had a meeting, we sat down, you know, Gary Nolan was there, uh, Melissa, a lot of people, both Melissas, you know, uh, a lot of our business uh the people circulating at businesses like Alqueous Vapors, Aardvarks, and uh, uh, Midwest Vapor Lounge um, all came to the meeting, and we decided, hey, you know, we're almost at our deadline. You know, we're not going to probably bust through what we need in time should we look at a different strategy. And we looked at the referendum approach. Uh, We can redraft this as a referendum, and it would give us a lot of benefits, the first being uh, that we could combine them all into one issue, right? So we're circulating, we were circulating three petitions at the time and having to get people to sign this three times, three signatures on three different petitions, which is just really difficult to do. Um, You know, people already don't want to, you know, be stopped when they're walking down the sidewalk. They want to get to where they're going. I know I do. When I see a person with a clipboard, I'm like, ah, God, and I cross the street, (laughs) which is bad because I also am sometimes the person with the clipboard, right? So, uh, you know, that's a, that's an issue. So if we can get it to one signature, that will help things a lot. Um, also, you know, just letting it warm up just a little bit more will help. 
Yeah. Uh, the students are all coming back, and they're you know they're the ones most affected by this. The eighteen to twenty year olds at Mizzou, uh, who can you know who have to drive to Ashland or Lake of the Woods to buy a cigarette now, um, or a, a water pipe or any of those things. You know they have to drive outside the city limits, or they have to get you know somebody a little older to buy it for them. Uh, but make no mistake, they still buy them. You know. Uh, so how can people stay up to date with this and, you know, keep up with you on this? Because I know that this is an issue a lot of people care about. And with the students coming back, they will want to catch up on the issue. And they, I think they will want to help us repeal this awful law. Definitely. Well, uh, you know, uh, there's a number of ways, and I'm going to, you know, keep talking about this. We'll keep talking about it on the show. So if you're a listener, obviously, uh, we'll keep talking about it. And we'll be posting things on the Facebook page and on the uh, new Twitter. P.S. We did get a uh, bull after bull Twitter. The oh right, yeah. It's at bull underscore after underscore bull because there's an inactive user squatting on bull after bull, the regular one without the underscores. So so definitely follow us on Twitter. But uh, to get back to what you're saying about how to you know follow keep up with the Tobacco Twenty One petition, uh, we we've formed a political action committee to try and you know raise funds for not only this petition and the cost of petitioning but also for you know to be able to support candidates and uh to be able to have a political voice and have this uh monetary voice that you obviously need uh we want to keep that voice a grassroots voice we want to keep that money grassroots money uh you know so we're asking for you know everyone to chip in a little bit you know citizens just five bucks here 20 bucks there just a little PayPal uh, contribution uh, to raise money for this petition and for future endeavors. And obviously I want to build, you know, a, a good citizen activist, a grassroots level sort of push behind uh, MLA. So that's what I launched. It's the Missouri Liberty Alliance, and you can find it uh, at MissouriLibertyAlliance.org. We still have a baby website there that's uh, sprouting up. But you can get a donate button through PayPal. And, uh, you know, feel free if you donate – uh, through PayPal to sort of leave a comment on, uh, you know, what what brought you here, or, you know, anything like that. Now, obviously, right now, the only thing that we've come out and said we're going to try and support uh, is this petition drive. So uh, once that launches, you know, we'll be filing. But everything everything here is already recognized under the um, under the Missouri Ethics Board, so uh, the Missouri Ethics Commission. So. Um, that's 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 where you go basically <laughs> to make a short story long. That's where you go to find uh, info on the petition. And so, if you get some donations, would you want to pay petitioners per signature? Maybe. Uh, yeah, that's one of the things that we're looking at. You know, cool. and uh, if we pay per signature, per valid signature, that gives us uh, a couple options. Um, that gives us the ability to compensate people for their time, which I believe is important. You know, these people are taking time off of work, or taking time after work, or maybe skipping a a cool show they wanted to go to or doing something in town. You know, these people are taking their time and their time is valuable. You know, even these grassroots activists, your time is valuable, you know, and your signatures are valuable. And I think you should be compensated for that. Uh, I don't understand, uh, why, why there could be anger. And, you know, there's a lot of anger sometimes when you pay for signatures, when you pay, uh, petitioners for signatures, but uh, I want to keep this, you know, this is part of the, how democracy works and how the economics of it all work. You know, the economics dictate what's going to happen, like we talked about earlier with Uber. 
So, um, of course, you know, we can sit here and bitch about how they have all the money and they're spending all the money, or we could step up and spend our, you know, money of our own and raise money of our own. And that's my intention with uh, Missouri Liberty Alliance is just to kind of meet the community at the grassroots level, get their input and, you know, get their support and their donations. Um, cause that's how this is really going to move forward. Oh, and, uh, <laughs> look at that. Uh, Amber just texted me actually. She's asking if we're going to be going to her women in cannabis, uh, Casey event here tonight. Amber Langston, huh? Yep. Now Amber Langston just had a feature run in, uh, on Kansas city.com. Right. Yeah. The Casey, that's the Casey stars website. Yep. Uh, and I think it was in the paper too, but yeah, it was a, it was a really good write-up. Uh, a really cool profile on her. Uh, she's the she's deputy director now of Shemi Cannabis, and uh, you know she's been active for a very long time in the cannabis movement. So uh, she was part of the group, you know, that helped uh, pass the 2004 decrim ordinance in Colombia. So she's been fighting, uh, you know. Yeah, and uh, she was at the event that we. Went where we met, actually, really. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, we talked about this in an early and an earlier episode, but Spencer and I met through cannabis activism, and the event where we, you know, ended up hooking up afterwards was a cannabis revival in yeah. 2011. Back in Joplin, yeah. So here's a little clip of Amber speaking there. We're at a tipping point, and this is the place to be, and I'm, I'm very privileged to be working for you guys, and I hope that you guys will also work for and with me to help this effort, because it's going to take all of us, and it's going to take us doing that democratic, that democracy work, and that means talking to your neighbors and listening to what they have to say, and being humble, that's another thing that I love about us in Missouri, like, we're all such kind and humble and loving people, and, and we can listen to what the concerns are of our neighbor without telling everybody exactly what the prescription is. I think that as you move along and you talk to your family and friends, we are going to learn more things about ourselves if we can listen to what it is that they have to say. And they, in turn, will learn from us. And we have some really powerful stuff to tell them about cannabis and There's, cannabis yeah, policy. So, um, Russ is also mentioning uh, women. There's not a whole lot of women in this movement, and part of what I want to do is help change that, especially for this particular campaign. And uh, so that was a strange ending to that clip, but... Well, you know, she had just transitioned into talking about how she wanted to uh, try to get more women into the movement and get get more women involved, you know? Yeah, and tonight, Spencer and I are going to an event that she's hosting uh, at Bluebird bistro in kansas city uh entitled women in cannabis um and i know there's been a lot of push for you know more women leaders in the cannabis community and, you right know. well one thing that we talk about uh a lot when we push for the you know the woman thing and you know personally i don't like the separation so much but there is uh, a valuable discussion to be had i mean i don't like to push the separation you know that we're separate i don't i don't think that um but we do have to be aware of our differences, you know, and we do have to capitalize because clearly we are not being aware of the women. When we poll, uh, women don't support legalization of cannabis quite as much as men do. Uh, that's just a demographic breakdown where we don't do as well. And so I think that's why it's important. It's not It's not to say, you know, um, any one gender is better, any one gender is more valuable or less valuable. It's to say, hey – we're not talking to our women correctly, you know. We're we're clearly missing the boat on our message to women. So let's examine why and uh, 
you know, look at who we could who we could bring in and who we could get impassioned about this. How do we talk to our moms and grandmas and how do we talk to our sisters about uh, cannabis and cannabis law, you know? Right. And, you know, I think those are all topics that will be discussed tonight. So we'll be reporting back, you know, with what happens For sure. there. Um, now, in the feature on Art- on Amber, which will be included in the show notes, um, they mention a, a Sedalia man with three marijuana convictions, but they don't name drop him, and that kind of upset me. Jeff Mazansky, everyone in Missouri should know his name by now. He has life in prison without parole for uh, having three prior cannabis convictions. Uh, he's a nonviolent offender. Now he's a great grandfather and he hasn't been able to be with his family or anything because he's in his, I think, 21st year in prison. And this is an absolute outrage. Um, on December 29th, there's a press release. Uh, I'm not sure when he did this, but Nixon granted nine pardons to uh, nonviolent offenders. But what none of the journalists said was that these offenders were already out of serving their sentences. This was prior. So basically he offered an expungement, and since it wasn't an expungement, it was a pardon, it really only matters to people who take the governor's word seriously. Uh, Employees will still be able to see their record, you know. Um, And, you know, two of those people were... uh, had marijuana offenses listed as their thing. But if Governor Nixon really wanted to make a statement, he would have released Jeff Mazansky on this pardon thing. And I'm very upset that he didn't. And, right. Well, you know, you know it just means we got to keep the pressure on him. And, uh, you know, we can call his office, uh, tell him to free Jeff. Uh, we'll put some links on the show notes to uh, let you know how you can get more involved. But, yeah, like yeah. Lorian said, Jeff Mazansky is a guy you need to know. It's a name you need to know. And, uh, we need to be paying more attention to uh, our brothers and sisters who are locked up in a cage right now uh, over a plant. A plant, you know? yep. It's, it's, it's horrible. It's absolutely detestable, and uh, we need to provide them support for sure. We can't lose sight of that. Now, uh, of course, you know, m- marijuana is starting to get more coverage across the country, which is awesome. And across the border in uh, Kansas – there's a group called Kansas for Change who just submitted a marijuana reform initiative. Um, they had 4,500 signatures to decriminalize possession of up to 32 grams of marijuana for people 21 and older in Wichita. I thought it was interesting that we see the adult age defined once again as 21 and not 18. Um, unfortunately, th- a lot of the stipulations in this decriminalization uh petition were caused because their first try got rejected. And I have a clip of Russ Belleville summing up that whole experience. It happened last summer. Wichita, Kansas has fallen 47 signatures short. But activists with the decrim campaign are questioning just how County Election Commission's supervisor, Tabitha Lehman, has been counting the signatures. The campaign turned in over 6,400 signatures for a petition drive that required just shy of 3,000 signatures by law. Layman's office rejected about 3,600 signatures as invalid, a roughly 45% validity rate. Activists point out that Layman's office subjectively disqualified signatures they felt didn't match a person's handwriting on their voter registration card. Lehman responded that while her office doesn't employ anyone trained as a handwriting expert, she did have several of her employees look at the questionable signatures before rejecting them. 
The initiative would make simple possession of marijuana a $25 fine-only offense. Activists will ask the Wichita City Council on Tuesday to put the initiative before the voters. Otherwise, they will recirculate their petition in time for the next city election. And they did. <laughs> uh, now, they changed the fine from 25 to 50 uh, after being told by a city official. Re- they got a recommendation sure. by a city official. Um, but <clears throat> I thought it was really interesting. The They only needed 46 more signatures for this to have passed the first time. And they turned in more than double the amount of signatures they yeah. need. Uh, but, you know, as I learned through the recall Chadwick petition and, you know, Tobacco 21, there are certain criteria that the people signing these petitions need to fit in. And I think in this case it was you had to be registered to vote in Wichita. Right. Now, uh, in some articles, the co-founder of Kansas for Change, Esau Freeman, who also uh, wrote uh, – campaigned for U.S. House to represent the 4th Congressional District in Kansas, which is the Wichita area. Um, he, th- he said that he had gathered a lot of signatures at events, like concerts and stuff, and people were just eager to sign it because they're eager to see, you know, marijuana decriminalized or legalized. Right. But if you don't, if you weren't a voter in Wichita, Kansas, you're literally just wasting the petitioner's time. Absolutely. And for anyone listening to this, please, please, if you're if the petitioner that you're talking to doesn't tell you who can sign the petition, ask and make sure that you are qualified because we don't want this to happen in Colombia. We don't want to pass in double the amount of signatures that we needed and have none of them be valid. Absolutely. Uh, but anyway, so they passed in 4,500 signatures this week, and uh, hopefully <laughs> they will, you know, they need just shy of 3,000, so hopefully they will have enough, and we will see this move further. Now, Esau Freeman, that guy that I mentioned earlier, he's a total badass. Listen to this clip of him at a, uh, a meeting. I appreciate you staying late. I possess in this bag a quarter ounce of a variety of weed that grows in Kansas. I'm going to set it right here. I would like you to know that I'm currently under the influence of what is in this bag, Okay. What I'm asking you to do is to read SB 9 and understand that we want you to stop forfeit your laws. We would like you to stop incarcerating our citizens. And we would like this drug war thing to be over. It's, it's not a moral issue. The, the moral part of the issue is that we are breaking up families. Thank you very much for your time this evening. And by the way, I'll, I'll just let you know these are dandelion greens. So sorry, you don't get to write me a ticket. But, I want you to think for a minute about your reaction when you thought that I laid a bag of marijuana here and how you felt inside and how you judge people for that. So please, thank you. Take that home. Wow. Yeah, this is so powerful. He was speaking to Kansas legislators, Kansas, legislators yeah. and he pulled out this baggie with green leafy substances in it and said, this is marijuana. I'm under the influence. Well, he, he didn't say this is marijuana. Weed. You're right. He said, this is a weed grown in Kansas and I'm under the influence. But Of this weed, yes. Uh, you know, I mean, I, the first time I saw it, we'll have the video in the link too. You just he he's known for his cannabis activism, and people were just assuming that was marijuana in the bag. Yeah, that's super crazy. You know, you gotta admit, imagine the balls that that takes, and like probably a you know, there's always a police officer too at these events who's maybe now like standing up, like maybe walking, maybe like that's a bag of what you know, and uh, the cojones that takes as a as an activist to get up and address uh, with that sort of a visual aid, you know, even if it's not 
there's not really marijuana in the bag, you know. Uh, it, it's a powerful statement, and it's like, now think about what your brain just did when I did that, and now think about why, you know, why. There's no reason. There's no reason why your brain did that, and then you breathe a sigh of relief when it's dandelions, you know. It's, uh, I mean, it's, guys, it, you know, he makes a fantastic point. Right. You know, our society has constructed all these separations for humans to, you know, label each other. And criminalization of people is one of the biggest problems that I've been seeing, at least, you know. Yeah. As soon as you, if you know someone's doing something illegal, you do view them as a criminal because that's what you're taught to do in this society. And that's just terrible. It stops us from being able to look at each other as fellow humans, which is what we are at the end of the day. And, you know, our, our, our erosion of rights has led the the land of the free and the home of the brave to be the largest prison population on the face of the planet, you know? Uh, There's a statistic that's passed around so often, but it needs to be passed around more often. People need to wake up every day and think, wow, the United States has 5% of the world's population, but 25% of prison population. That is wrong. We have a quarter of all people on planet Earth are locked up here. In the land of the free, that there's something not right there, you know, that doesn't match, that doesn't add up. Uh, so that's, you know, all of this winds together and the, all these liberty causes, they, they're intertwined, they're beautifully intertwined. And when you, when you start to see the connection, when you start to see why gay rights matter because everyone's rights matter, why cannabis rights matter because everyone's rights matter, you know. Why all of these rights, why an Uber driver's rights matter because everyone's rights matter. Uh, then you start to see the bigger picture and then you start to see uh, what real freedom looks like and what these, you know, these words don't have to be empty words that we say to each other. You know, they can have meaning and we can actually strive to uphold the values that we've been taught this country, you know, has been founded on. Yeah. And just to remind you all, that was Esau Freeman, the co-founder of uh, Kansas for Change with the, you know, bag of weed <laughs> <laughs> very nice so yeah we'll have all uh relevant info in a nice little blog post for you uh with the show notes uh is there anything else you want to say while we uh while we take this out um you know pay attention get active and mayor bulls burn ever brighter <laughs>